think editorializing on interesting facts is sort of like the gist of it. What does factual even mean anyway? I mean, it certainly means different things to different people. I hit record. I hit record. Welcome to Feature Creep. Uh, colon. Colon. Built-in microwave. Right. Semicolon. Semicolon. Short. Um, yeah, and this uh, the short is the Mapping Prejudice Project. Oh, this sounds this something, fascinating. Yeah, I got involved with this just just yesterday, day before. Yep. Um, so, <clears throat> uh, some researchers at the U of M, University of Minnesota, yeah. decided to um, essentially use GIS and build a database of um, properties in Minnesota. Yep. Specifically, started they started with Hennepin County. Right. Uh, um, for the project, project began four years ago, um, and it takes a look at all of the deeds that are on file for parcels of land and plots of land and things like that in um, Minneapolis, and uh, does that OCR character recognition. Uh huh. And um, the character recognition looks for certain keywords that might alert someone who can review the document f- to the presence of what's called a racial covenant uh-huh. and uh, or a restrictive covenant. So um, uh, GIS just means geographic information system. So it has to do with right. like uh, correlating data with geographical location. Right. Yep. So if or, you have yep. a deed that has a restrictive racial covenant in it, yep. then you can use that data and put that data into a database that will then populate a map with that and reflect the map on the map. It will reflect the information that you put in the database. Yes. So, so what is words, a... Oh, yeah, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. What What is a, a racial covenant? So a racial covenant or a restrictive covenant is language that's inserted into a deed for a property when it's created. So um, at some point, there's just a bunch of land yep. and people show up and say, well, this little land section that I'm drawing a border on belongs to me now. And in order to identify it as such, I'm going to draft a deed. And that is a legal document that indicates ownership over a parcel of land. Right. And um, like I have a deed to the land that my house sits on. Um, and anyone who has a mortgage or owns a property will have a deed to it. Um so the uh, as far back as the 1800s but specifically in Minnesota um as early as 1910 yeah Minneapolis developers began including language in their deeds when they drafted the deeds for properties for the first time and actually designated those individual properties as such yeah they include language that um <clears throat> is legal is is essentially instructions for how that property should be treated in future sales. So, for example, a racial covenant would say, um, in perpetuity, this this property may not be transferred to anyone not of the ca- Caucasian race. Okay. Or right, this property may not be sold to. Uh, or or exchanged with uh, black, uh, Asian, Indian, 
Southeast Asian. Like anybody you want to restrict from having ownership over it, you would either affirmatively list them or you could list in the negative and say nobody but white people gets to live here. So forgive my uh, my the lack of my immediate shock and awe that this exists because right. although I was not aware of it, I'm sadly not not I, I'm not surprised. It's it's right. it's an outrage. Of, like yeah. you know, and that shouldn't go without saying. That should be said every time. It is outrageous and absolutely egregious and not not appropriate in any way. Okay, continue. Right. Yeah, so <clears throat> developers promoted them. Yeah. It started in, in Hennepin County in 1910. Um, sometime around the mid-1950s, these racial covenants were essentially unenforceable in any real way, although they were still included in a lot of originating deeds right. <clears throat> through 1960. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the Fair Housing Act of 1968, which is a, a federal legislation, yeah. um, explicitly outlawed racial covenants. Um, so around what you can do is you can say okay well we know that there are all of these racial covenants on on real properties in minneapolis but how many were they and which properties on the map have them right and so what this organization did mapping um mapping prejudice yeah um they have a they have a movie called jim crow of the north and it's a documentary about redlining and about Um, racial covenants and racial covenants were essentially the legal documents that laid the groundwork or laid the created the conditions in which redlining became possible what's what's redlining yeah so i'm gonna actually like google the definition of it because i could explain it in a little you know ham-fisted way but i it's it's actually important that i get this right because it's not the same thing as racial covenants um so where is it here uh, oops, it would help if I spelled it correctly before I tried to explain it. Um, so redlining is essentially a process where um, people create and perpetuate racial, cultural, and um, other class inequities, specifically through the use of um, corralling people into specific neighborhoods. So you... you prevent people from buying property in this neighborhood by placing racial covenants on the deeds and then those make it impossible for certain people to move in there and when those were outlawed um what happened was a sort of like shitty workaround so um the redlining now is indicates how lenders at the banks were identified and referenced neighborhoods with a greater share of people deemed more likely to default on mortgage. So in other words, when you don't allow people of a certain group, whatever that group is, to build wealth because you restrict access to the typical vehicles for wealth building, like owning a home that appreciates in value while you live in it. Right. um, If you were marked a credit risk because you were not allowed to have access to properties that were tied up through racial covenants, then you were forced to buy substandard properties at prices that were outrageous, Mm -hmm. which you would be more likely to default on. And then when enough of that happens, 
it's easier to say, well, there's a pattern here and you're from a neighborhood with a greater share of people deemed more likely to default on a mortgage. So we're not going to be able to assume that you're an appropriate credit risk and we won't give you any financial help to get the fuck out of there. Oh, God. Okay. So, um, like, uh, I think, where is it here? Um, CBS News did a thing called redlining what uh redlining's legacy maps are gone but the problem hasn't disappeared and it essentially talks about how banks denied mortgages to people of color in urban areas preventing them from buying home in certain neighborhoods or getting a loan to renovate their house and so it's not explicitly in writing that you can't have this because of who you are it's more euphemistic ways of saying it's because of who you are but we're going to pick and choose specific details that we have engineered into our conception of who you are to then discredit you later on and prevent you from getting what you need from us so um it's really fucked up and super manipulative and this organization that i'm volunteering with wanted to be able to see wanted to be able to map out which of these properties in which neighborhoods um were subject to racial covenants and track over time decade by decade what that did to the population and its distribution of non-white people and then follow the repercussions throughout history so this process started 110 years ago in minneapolis Uh and we are still feeling the effects the downstream effects uh, negative effects of what that's done to stratify our class society uh classes within our society and corral um, black and white people into different neighborhoods, corral black people into different neighborhoods from white people and let white people have whatever they want is exactly how it was set up. Right. So um, in 1910, less than one, uh, just a bit uh, around, let's say 1%. In 1910, 1% of the population in Minneapolis were black people. Mm-hmm. Um, they They lived all over. There was a really like basically a pretty good intermingling that there were only 1% of people who were black, but those black people lived in just about all of the neighborhoods mm-hmm. all over the city. Right. Um, in 1920s, if you look at the maps that they've done over time and you compare 1910 to 1920, you see the number overall of black people, the percentage of the population in Minneapolis goes up, but they get closer and closer clumped together. And then by 1930, it's even more people in terms of the total population, and they're even in smaller areas. Mm -hmm. And so the distribution of those folks over time was reduced to a couple of very specific neighborhoods where 100% of the black population in Minneapolis essentially lives in one of two neighborhoods. I mean, that's a a really... Yeah. It's oversimplification. But what you see is more and more people who are closer and closer together and further and further away from everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was not a process that black people chose. That was a position they were relegated to. Right, right. And so the mapping process searches, scans text with the OCR process yep. to look at important That's details. optical so, character recognition if you're... Yeah. 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 Thank you. Yep. Um, and so the optical character recognition looks for words that otherwise wouldn't make any sense in a in a legal property deed, uh-huh. such as Caucasian or like 
I would imagine something as obnoxious as uh, thinking back at the time, something like Oriental even might be in there. Yeah, I'm sure. imagining but words like, like colored and yes, just really hair, you know, yeah, yeah. like triggering words. So, um, <laughs> awful. Yeah. So when this G, when this um, OCR scanning process concludes, <clears throat> it flags a list of um, documents that a reviewer such as myself, a transcriptionist, then goes in to double check and look at what the computer thinks might be a red flag. Right. Gotcha. So it's like an early filter. So you get a bunch, you're hopefully filtering out the ones that are absolutely not um, or very right. low, low likelihood. And then, and then you have uh, human volunteers who are then going through and validating and verifying. Yes. So then uh, anytime that something is successfully flagged yeah. um, and a person, a real live person goes and looks and says, yep, this looks like a racial covenant to me. You do some data entry about the deed, about the location of the property that's deeded and the date that the deed was created and the exact text from the deed that indicates that there's a racial covenant included therein. And so um, they have five reviewers for every one of these flags. So me and four other people will eventually all sign off that, yes, we've reviewed this. And then they look at the data entry we do and compare it. And if it's all... um, if it all matches, then that one is a green lit and it goes onto the map and is GIS mapped and shows up as a location of a deed with a racial covenant. Um, this is a really cool project. Map. It's the only one in America. Um, nobody else has done this before. Yeah. St. Kate's, my college, jumped in on it. And there are some other folks who've been helping as well. The U of M Libraries is in on it and supporting it. And so it took them four years to map Hennepin, Hennepin County, which is where I live. Yeah. Um, the it, it turns out, like, I should throw this out quick. This is kind of non sequitur, but it was always here, at least, the case that these racial covenants appeared in new deeds. So if there were deeds to properties that existed and predated the practice in Minneapolis of... Um, including racial covenants. So houses or properties deeded prior to 20 or 1910. Yeah. Um, those were usually left alone. They were not retroactively updated to include racial covenants where they did not before. Uh-huh. And so it was a novel practice that was essentially implemented going forward. And I think that's maybe why it flew under the radar mm-hmm. a little bit. Right. Um, but anyway, it took four years to map Hennepin County. We're starting on Ramsey County now. There is a newsletter about it. Um, there's, uh, so um, let's see here. There's a book called The Color of Law by Richard Rothstein that looks at housing discrimination and I believe specifically talks about this issue. Yeah. Um, if you go to mappingprejudice.org you can actually they do trainings every week to get volunteers trained up to become transcriptionists and help work on this project yeah and um so far now that they've concluded hennepin county they found over twenty-five thousand properties with existing racial covenants in the deeds to this day wow and you can because they're not enforceable and they're illegal yeah they're not having a direct effect on people the way that they used to. Um, But it's up to individual deed holders to contact the city essentially, or the, the the authorities. Um, And there's a group facilitating this. um, uh, And you can go and look up whether or not your property and your deed has a racial covenant included and then have that. um, Oh, what do they call it? It's not like they don't, remove it or like invalidate it they just like amended um, 
They yeah, they amend it so that you can take the language out of the deed, I think. Oh, I'm not entirely sure because I haven't done it yet and that yeah. was like the specific focus of the training. Right. Um <clears throat> but it's really fascinating. Um, it's really easy to read the deeds and just see, yep, there it is. Like no right. white people here. Right. Um, and it's really, it's just, uh, uh, the place in golden Valley, which is a suburb of Minneapolis that's working to facilitate the process of discharging racial covenants off of properties. Uh-huh. It's called dis- it's a discharge process, um, to discharge a racial covenant from a deed. You have to go through, Hennepin County recorders uh-huh. and the just deeds working group in golden Valley is um, working to facilitate that f- process for people who want to do it. So I have to look at my property and see, I don't remember anything that batshit crazy. Like I feel like it would have definitely stuck out to me mm-hmm. if the deed to my house was like, can't sell it to anybody but a white person. Right. Um, but I don't remember. I bought it seven years ago and frankly, it was never a topic that was raised at the time. And so I could have a racial covenant on the deed to my property and not realize it. Right. Right. Oh, that's Nuts. super crazy. Yeah, so you can sign in anytime if you want to do this, mappingprejudice.org. You can get involved by signing up, and then they give you a training about how to do it. It's very easy. You can log in. You set up an account as a transcriptionist, and you log in, and you can work at your own speed anytime. Yeah. Um, and because it's a collaborative process where other people also have to come up with the same results that you do, you're not singularly on the hook to produce results. It's like right, a, a right. group project. Um, so it's really nice. And it was interesting because when I did the training the other night, um, I think there were maybe one or two men in the training, but there were probably more than 20 people for sure. And most of them women. I think a lot of them were alumna from, uh, from St. Kate's. Uh-huh. Um, and they were asking some fucking dynamite questions. Yeah. You were mentioning that's really awesome. It was really cool. So I'm very excited about this project. Um, I think, I think projects are cool like this because, um, you can, you know, if you're listening to this right now, you could in 10 minutes probably be reviewing one of those documents. You could do one and never yep. go back and have already made more of an impact than just having not done it at all. Um, yeah, absolutely. It's a huge, it's such the, the, the small amount of data work that you have to enter yeah. into this database provides um, results and payoffs on the back end that are like multitudes more helpful than just the plain information. Like right. when you put it into the interactive map and you can look at changes over time, it becomes very clear very quickly the effect that this has had. And in another podcast that we recorded just a bit ago, uh, we were bitching about the situation with the the overwhelming crisis of people being unhoused in Minneapolis and winter coming very shortly and yep. not being able to put those people indoors because of COVID restrictions. And, um, and and frankly, people who are sleeping outside don't want to be indoors, whether, you know, like they're, they're, they don't feel safe right. um, that close to other people. And so the, the fact that a lot of people who are in the position to be forced to sleep outside in a tent in a park in Minneapolis are in that, state as a result of policies like this over a hundred and ten years systematically keeping people out of housing. Yep. Yep. And so what they're hoping to do is use this data really, really clear data, um, use it to draw conclusions about outcomes and then try and solve using 
the same information. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, a big part of problem is like understanding the problem in the first place. So that's always a right. Yes. Um, yes. No. So, um, super, super amazing. Um, it's what I learned that was really interesting. Why this fucking matters is because Minneapolis in the nation is number one in terms of overall home ownership. So 75% of the people, um, in Minneapolis who, oh, more people in Minneapolis own their homes than people in other parts of the country own their homes. That's pretty right? cool. Like yeah. We're way ahead yeah. in terms of home ownership. However, of all of the people who own homes in Minneapolis, 75% of them are white and only 25% of black people own the home in which they reside. Right. So it's this massive disparity. It's a ma- the, In fact, yeah. we are also number one in the country for that disparity. Wow. That's interesting. So that's pretty fucking terrible. Yeah. We not only do we not only do we make it super easy for people to get good houses here and own them, we only do that for white people. Great. Uh and we're we're worse at facilitating black or people of color people of color's ownership of their own homes right. than anyone else in the country. Right. But right. we're it's really important that people own homes here, but, but Yeah, as long as you're people. white. Right. And so that's like really fucking terrible. Um and it what they pointed out was this mapping this lets us see ourselves. Yeah. Like this tells us a story about ourselves that right isn't being told other ways. And I'm wondering if the updated version of redlining and this sort of like selectiveness um, is something that I actually benefited from financially recently. So in 2016, I bought my house in 2013. I bought it using an FHA loan and it was a HUD house. And so uh, there were requirements for me as an owner that um, I had to meet, for example, I had to be the occupier of this house. Mm-hmm. I couldn't rent. I couldn't rent it out to other people under that mortgage, um, and I was paying mortgage insurance because I was a first-time homebuyer, and so that was really expensive. And I had good credit, and so three years in uh, to owning the home, I was able in 2016 to refinance my house. I did so basically for free. Because I live in a neighborhood that on a map has a high or had a high rate of defaults on loans and foreclosures on homes. And so to shore up stability in the housing market in the neighborhood, they were offering really good deals to people who could refinance a home in an area that had a really high rate of turnover and default on the mortgages. Oh, interesting. Yeah. But what I realized, I think vaguely at the time and now even more concerningly and more concretely now, what I'm concerned about is that the same sort of determining factors that go into what makes my neighborhood a high turnover foreclosure rate neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Like why is that happening here? And why was it so easy for me to get a refi for free? Like I didn't have to pay a dime for the refi, no fees, no, no, no um, assessments. Like I had to have an appraiser come out. They covered that. Mm-hmm. Um, like I didn't pay anything and my mortgage dropped by like almost $300 a month. Wow. 
Yeah, so it helped me out a lot. Great. Yeah. But I'm like, what about me? What hidden things about me made it easier than pie for me to walk in and be like, hey, how about I just don't pay as much for my house? And people are like, yeah, that sounds great. We're going to foot the bill for all the paperwork Uh, and all of the like staff time it takes. And so I'm suspicious. Yeah. Also because... The person who told me that I was in a position as a homeowner in my neighborhood to qualify for this was someone who I am heavily suspicious of being a white supremacist. Uh. So I'm I'm wondering about this and I'm probably going to email Mapping Prejudice and just ask them, have you considered the similarities between the blue neighborhoods and the gold neighborhoods and the whatever color they use all of these complicated color codes to describe the rates of foreclosures uh-huh. or right. the credit ratings of people who live in those neighborhoods. It's just another way of classifying people. And if the classification is coming from people who are biased, then the outcome is going to be just as biased, even if you call it something other than redlining. Right, right. So I'm really curious about that now. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. No, that's, I think that's uh, both valid and really interesting. I mean, that's a big part of generating that data in the first place is that if you can look at that data and then you can look at other policies and see how strongly correlated they are um, to existing neighborhoods and their history. So, you know, just because they've moved away from um, uh, racial what did you call the, not the contract, the racial covenants. Covenants. Yeah. Yep. Just because they're no longer able to legally enforce racial covenants doesn't mean that they haven't found a way to shift that same outcome to yes. other forms of yes. legal processes. Um, Precisely. Yeah. So, um, so this, I really, I really enjoyed this particular short. Um, cause I think that is a really cool project and yeah. Um, and yeah. I mean, they can, this can be repeated. You can export the the model for building a database like this to anywhere. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. And so I think that's really helpful and amazing. Yeah. Uh, so if you want to get a hold of us or you have comments again, our website is fcbm.io and you can email us directly at contact or contact at fcbm.io or you can get a hold of our um our wonderful executive assistant uh dana at fcbm.io she will definitely help handle your questions give you yes. give you her best answers and or direct you um as best she can so uh thank you for listening Woo. and yeah uh yeah i think that's it what do you think i think that's it thank you okay Okay. 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 All right. Bye, everybody. Okay. Bye, everybody.